people sometimes interpret as quirky is my attempt to subvert the concept of luxury by introducing elements that are considered ordinary or commonplace. Nutria Prada, granddaughter of Mario Prada, describing her view of luxury fashion, which she sells under the Prada and Miami labels. Professor Giorgio Riello of the University of Warwick took time out from exploring the topic of luxury to explain why it's worthy of academic inquiry. Luxury today is a very important topic. Um, all of a sudden it has appeared in the public consciousness and it still lacks an academic um, understanding. So there is a lot written in terms of journalism. There are also some uh, general, so-called general books for the general audiences, but there hasn't really been the attempt to address it um, as, a, as an academic topic. It doesn't mean academic to make it boring, because it can still be exciting and indeed explore some of the issues that we think are so important today, um, but it also needs a, a historical dimension. Now, to historicize things normally means that you make them again boring and dead, mm -hmm. but in this case is also the fact that what we think is extraordinary, the period we live in, is actually quite, when you start looking at the past, is quite normal. You find the same issues coming um, being present over and over again in slightly different forms because of course society has changed because the specific forms of luxury have changed and yet what remains um, quite uh, important is first of all a concern with luxury so luxury is seen as something extremely attractive and um, so the goods involved in the, in the luxury production and the luxury trade, it would have been the expression in the 18th century, um, are things that everyone, each one of us would like to have. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, there is also a certain discussion about if it is good or bad. And there is a divided opinion. Some say it's great because it fosters economic development. You have all these big companies today producing for an international uh, market for luxury. And it is a very big sector in the same ways in which Mandeville in the 18th century would have said um, luxury is really the soul and spirit of economic development because if people want more or want something better that will activate entire sectors of the economy it might be the production of jewelry rather than carriages. Um, and that will be good because it will create wealth, it will make money circulate and so on. So that's the positive. But there is also a negative definition of luxury in which luxury, and this comes from the very etymological um, word, come from luxuria. So it's seen as a kind of vice. Um, so luxury comes to distort uh, the main aims in life that might be spiritual, or might be related to the distribution, the equality among people, a kind of democracy. So luxury and democracy don't really go together. Mm -hmm. Today, luxury is such a center stage, partially because if you look at income distribution uh, between nations, um, in, in specifically if you start thinking about the poorer parts of the world and the surely the Western world, but also the emerging economy, and also within nations, so think of China, you have a group of people that is becoming very rich. Uh, those might be the bankers here, might be the new rich in, uh, in China, might be the Russian oligarchs. 
and those can afford um, what is now called the meta luxury that's to say luxury at the uh, end level um, that is really the unaffordable to most of us but there is also an aspirational element and this is where perhaps there is a reconciliation also with democracy because you can see that there is a, an aspiration um, to a kind of what is called the democracy of luxury and I use an expression from Lipovetsky in which there is a sense of entitlement that everyone should and can aspire to own something that is classified under the label luxury. Of course, it's the same for fashion. Once you say that everyone can, it means that it's no longer a valid concept because it is based, both luxury and fashion are based on the principle of constant disappointment. Mm. Someone must be disappointed, otherwise the game doesn't work. So these are all issues that um, in some ways um, makes luxury such an interesting topic because it puts together very different perspective, indeed very different disciplines. I've just talked about history, but someone might talk about sociology, others might talk about anthropology, and of course it has a clear and direct relationship with business, and particular the, the practices of businesses, business today. The aims of the network, we decided that we couldn't cover everything, and this is always good because um, you are asked then to find out which are the real issues and we identify three main uh, issues. One relates to production and this is the theme that we're going to explore in uh, a workshop to be held at the VNA in just a few days time um, because we thought that we take for granted that uh, luxury objects exist but um, normally they entail very specific skills uh, very specific use of materials and indeed the notion of production itself has changed over time quite substantially. So we're going to reflect for instance of uh, if value is intrinsic to the object or if something that is, uh, that is culturally constructed. Um, we're going also to reflect upon moments in which luxury has a difficult life, for instance in moments of war uh, the 20th century has seen two moments, at least, of World War Wars, in which luxury had, uh, had to be reshaped and recontextualized. Um, and we're going also to think about what might be the future in that case, um, because we are going to, uh, towards a world that is more and more virtual, um, so more and more digital. But in terms of also of luxury and what luxury means, it, it is also a world in which services are becoming more important than material goods. Mm. And so we're going to think also about that relationship between, um, I don't know, practices of collecting things or buying a car mm. uh, versus spending your money on flights, first class, uh, I would say flying, mm. uh, or indeed going around on cruise ships or similar kind of services. Um, the second theme is going to be about regulation. We thought that that's a difficult theme because normally luxury seems to be in the engagement with luxury seems to be just about having enough money to afford all these beautiful things. But in reality it turns out to be much more complex because at least one big institution that is states have a saying of what we consume. Um, and uh, as posed limits on who can consume what throughout the 
throughout, at least since the Middle Ages, but even if we go back to Roman times, these were called sumptuary legislations, um, that's to say enactments of the law in which it is said who can wear what in terms of clothing, who can consume what in terms of food, um, and also regulates all sorts of ceremonies like uh, weddings and funerals. So when I'm talking to my students, they think that it is very strange because we don't have, they say, rules about who can buy what. In reality, that's not the case. There are quite a few rules. They're very complex and they, they're very subtle, so they're not immediately, immediately visible. But we have rules that impose heavy taxation on all sorts of commodities, especially luxury commodities. Some countries like Italy, where I come from, uh, specifically identify luxury as commodities with high uh, VAT. Um, there are all sorts of uh, regulation in terms of materials. There are also ethical aspects, so fur is bad. Uh, now gold is very expensive and it's seen quite bad too because of mining, not to say diamonds, it is the sim symbol of our, of our network. It seems to be, um, again, as an ethical dimension that is um, not to say a regulation of international markets of diamonds. So all of a sudden, regulation and state regulation or international agreements appear quite um, important. And so we are going to consider that, again, historically and, um, and uh, in the present. And the third theme is about geographies, and that relates to the fact that luxury from the very beginning, and we have to go back perhaps to Roman times, has always been seen and associated to things that come from far away. Um, in Roman times, um, Pliny, for instance, was saying uh, luxury are the pearls and the spices coming from India and Asia in general. So it's always been seen as an external force. Um, the same might, might be in, uh, in the 18th century, in which a lot of the luxuries of 18th century Europe are imported from Asia. They are silks, they are porcelains, they are cotton textiles. Mm. Um, and again, we have a form of luxury and distinction in the 19th century, chinoiserie, japonaiserie, and so on. Today, the geographic dimension of luxury is slightly different in the sense that it's no longer Europe and North America or the West to be the prime consumer of luxuries, but we see in emerging markets also the emergence of new uh, wealthy middle classes, not to say upper classes, that aspire to all sorts of different luxuries. The question for us is, do they aspire to Western luxuries, um, the Louis Vuitton, the uh, Gucci, and, and so on, the haute couture uh, of France, or do they aspire to a different range of goods? Uh, and that would be an interesting question for us to explore for uh, the present. You've just been listening to Professor Giorgio Riello of the University of Warwick, discussing his view of luxury and his reasons for establishing the Luxury Network. This podcast was brought to you by the University of Warwick's Knowledge Centre. I'm Lucy Hanford, and the producer was Craig Hinks. The Luxury Network is formed of the Global History and Culture Centre at the University of Warwick, the VNA, Stockholm University, the University of Melbourne, and the University of Bologna.